This is Lamentations 3, 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and gall. I remember well them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. And God has been faithful, and uh, even when we don't feel like it, his mercy is there for us to accept. And uh, at this point, I want to call up our friend and uh, Danny Ferguson, who's um, a local missionary here in Langley. And uh, he, he works with kids. He's awesome. He uh, does a great job over at Walnut Grove uh, Secondary, and uh, he continues his relationships with the kids as they grow older. And um, he just does a fantastic work. And he's a fellow motorcycle rider, uh, which makes him really cool. And uh, yeah, he loves uh, music. And he even he's old enough to remember what eight tracks are. So yeah, he's not just cool with the teens, but he's you know cool with us older folks as well. So, Danny, I want to invite you up and uh, want to hear what God has been speaking to your heart. Before I start, I just want to tell you that I get it. I get not wanting to come this morning because I was roofing my house over the weekend. And uh, we finished last night late, went to bed about midnight. And I was like, dang, if it was any other Sunday, I wouldn't go. <laughs> and I still actually considered not coming. Um, but if, uh, if you're just getting back from vacation, maybe your mind is still there. If you're just about to leave, maybe your mind is, is going there. And you don't feel like sitting and listening to me, then I don't mind if you get up and leave. Looks like a lot of people made that decision already. <laughs> so we're doing all right. Um, if you actually feel like you need to connect with God and the last thing you want to do is listen to another sermon, then I'm all right if you just want to walk around the arena and and chat with God. Don't tell Brad, but I do that quite often. Shh. Um, for those of you that do want to stick it out and listen to what I have to say, I have something that can feed your, uh, your ADD or your restlessness or just wanting to legitimately be able to check like sports scores on your phone while I'm talking. Um, I encourage you to text me, okay? <laughs> So you can text me with your questions, your comments, your criticisms, or, you know, like, I'm hungry, stop talking, you, whatever it is that you want to say. So I'll put that right here where you can easily distract me. Um, yeah, today I'm going to be talking about a relatively famous uh, Bible story. There's a few, right? There's the David and Goliath, the small guy defeating the giant, and then there's the Good Samaritan, the friendly guy that helps the guy that's been mugged. These are stories that, you know, whether you grew up in church or not, that uh, people seem to recognize and understand. And then today we're talking about Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, made famous by, by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Whoa! This gives me a good opportunity to show you today's artwork. <laughs> it's fantastic. So I don't know who did it, but... It's awesome. I'll set that back here where I can not destroy it. You guys should know that I tell a lot of really bad jokes, so if you could just humor, humor me by laughing, even if you don't think they're funny, that would be fantastic. 
Um, so any of you actually ever seen Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? Wow. I watched part of it for this, and I feel like my mind has been blown. Um, anyway, it's a good place for us to start, whether you've seen it or not. I want to show you a, a clip from the musical. My sheep was quite a sight to see, a golden sheep and tall. Yours were green and second rate, and really rather small. shown you that, but that really is terrible, absolutely terrible. And now the problem is every time I read this story, I'm going to get a picture of Donny Osmond singing. That cannot, that cannot be a good thing. God forgive me, please. Um, but I, I, it proves a point. I, I'm going to try to redeem it because I watched it so many times that I was like, I have to let other people suffer with this. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, I've always grown up with the kind of understanding that Joseph was like the arrogant little brother that uh, rubbed his dreams of grandeur into the faces of his brothers, and like his uh, relentless, spoiled, tattletale ways 
and he couldn't do any wrong in the eyes of his father, and he really just needed a good dose of reality before God could use him. Hence the reason he was like sold into slavery and had to live through all the Egyptian stuff. But as I've been actually like looking and reading it and the passages around it, and as we've kind of been studying through Genesis, I'm not exactly sure that that's what's going on. But I don't want you to necessarily take my word for it. So I'll tell you, and then you, know, you can text me and tell me that I'm wrong. Uh, but that's what I kind of really feel like sermons are for anyway. It's not about me like dispensing correct opinion to you, which you then go out and tell everybody that that's, that's right. But it's a starting point for a discussion that we can have, and like we can chew on it together, and we can discuss, and we can, we can try to understand, come to a better understanding as we have what we call kind of like a community interpretation of these things. I find like a lot of times, like I think I know what's going on, but what I think I know actually gets in the way of my understanding. So to kind of prove that, um, I, heard a, I heard a phrase yesterday um, that knowing that a tomato is a fruit is knowledge, but not putting it in a fruit salad is wisdom. <laughs> right? So sometimes the things that we know, if we just went based on knowledge, we could really mess things up. So also, because I know that maybe like some of you brought some other reading material along, but you still think you can listen to me, or you're like checking your phone, going over your schedule, your email, you know, like it's fine. If you don't want to listen, it's fine. But if you think you can actually listen to me, you think that like you know it, you know it well enough that you don't actually need to, to listen to it again. You can just catch the high points. I saw this great video on how terrible we are at, at multitasking and how sometimes that knowledge the, the knowledge we have really does get in the way of us perceiving and understanding things. So check it, check this out. Still thinking you're a great multitasker? Try this awareness test. Count the number of passes the white team makes. The answer is 13. But did you notice the witch walking through the practice? Whoever told me that I'm pretty by text, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so how many of you are really excited that you got the number of passes right? Yeah? And how many of you are really angry when you found out that that was like a whole deception? <laughs> and how many of you are still convinced the witch didn't walk through the practice? <laughs> anyway, that's kind of what I'm trying to say is like sometimes what we know and like that automated response of things can like actually throw us off. Um, so I'm just going to ask for God to like surprise us today. Okay? So God, to just come before you and just ask that you would surprise us. I'd ask that you surprise us in the text as we go through it, that you would just take off our presuppositions, our already good understanding of what we have or what we think we know, and that you would just really move in us to see what it is that you're trying to communicate to us in this text. And also just in our day-to-day -day lives as uh, we've all come from various 
backgrounds and, and weeks and you know, maybe some of us are frustrated or tired and maybe we're looking into the next week going, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I just ask that you would surprise us in our everyday life. Amen. All right. So just a quick snapshot review. Um, you can kind of see the paintings that have been going on here for, for a few weeks as we've been going through Genesis as a church together. And um, first it starts off, well, it starts in the beginning, but I won't bore you with, with all that. Kind of like how I started, you know, September 21, 1978. And, oh, oh shoot, that's one of my bad jokes, okay? Laugh. Thank you. Perfect. Um, Abraham was selected out of the whole world, individual. God's going to start over, have his own people. We see the like, special selection there. And then he has a kid when he's not supposed to. It's so awkward that the only thing they can do is laugh. And then, so they name him Isaac, which means laughter. And then they have Jacob, <coughs> who's one of the twins. And um, his name means deceiver. So every time you read, you know, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, remember, he's the God of the father of many nations, the God of laughter, and the God of deceivers. And maybe that will make you feel better about yourself. Um, anyway, let's just do a quick recap of Jacob. And to do that, and so you don't have to listen to me as much, I brought one more video that just kind of captures a little bit of the context of Jacob's life. This is the history of Jacob. He was born the younger twin brother of Esau, who he later would trick out of his birthright and his father's blessing. After this, he fled to the east in fear that Esau would kill him. He worked for Laban for 20 years to marry his daughter, Rachel and built a wealthy flock and large family. Later he returned to his homeland, but was still afraid of Esau. One night, Jacob wrestled with an angel until he was blessed. From that point on, he was known as Israel and walked with a limp. God gave Jacob wisdom on how to reconcile with his brother. Sweet. So if you have your Bibles, you could uh, turn to Genesis 37. That's where I'm going to be hanging out most of the time today. Um, or you can look it up on your phone, like Curtis said. Or you can check, like, what's going on with the Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. You can text that to me. It'd be fantastic. Um, just before we go into Genesis 37, Genesis 36 Verse 1 says, this is the account of Esau, that is Edom. And then it goes into a really long, dry, boring, theological, or genealogy list. Yeah. If you really are having problems sleeping, I recommend looking at that. Um, Esau's the oldest, even if it was only by a few, few minutes or a few seconds or whatever, um, twins. But the oldest kid in that kind of background is supposed to be the one that gets all the blessing and all the inheritance and take the mantle of leadership in the family. Um, but Jacob deceives Esau out of those things and ends up running away to Laban's with, um, with the birthright and the inheritance. And, and then he runs for his life because he's afraid Esau's going to kill him. And on his way, he has this dream. And um, God shows him this, this uh, ladder or staircase or whatever and shows him he's going to be some kind of special link between heaven and earth. And... Um, so as we turn to Genesis 37, 1, it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. And then it goes into this rich, meaningful 
story of, of a guy and his family. So we can see, like, there's something here that we're supposed to remember. We're not just supposed to, like, look for the genealogies and figure out who, who belongs to who and who slept with who, but that we actually can understand how God was working through the lives of the people there in the past. And I can think it can help us understand how God continues to work in our lives today. So it starts off, you know, this is the account of Jacob, and then the first thing it says is Joseph. So that, is this story actually about Jacob, or is it about Joseph? And that can be a little bit confusing, but I think really what it serves to communicate is that uh, Joseph is J- Jacob's kid, right? Jacob had a lot of kids. And the kids that we have are part of our legacies, just like we're legacies to the parents that we've had. And so my kids are a part of my story, and your parents are a part of your story, right? Like we're, we're all interconnected in that way. So it's not so much that it's ignoring Jacob, but he's saying like Jacob's life is encapsulated in what's going on with his kids. And I've noticed this um, in, in my own kids, right? Like as I'm raising them and I'm trying to like sort them out and get them like to become responsible people in this world, that they seem to ignore all the good things I tell them and pick up on all my bad traits. Like being socially awkward and having a big mouth. I always tell my kids when they're born, like, I'm like, let me teach you the Ferguson move, and then I put their foot in their mouth. <clears throat> so that's me. Um, so then it goes on here. It says, uh, this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, and then he, they each had servant girls, and they were having this competition to see who could have the most kids, so he ended up with four wives, and I can't even imagine how crazy that would be. And I sleep on the couch enough as it is. And um, don't tell my wife I said that. Oh, shoot, she can listen online, can't she? Is there any way to, like, back that up and edit out? <laughs> um, foot and mouth again. Wait. Stick to the notes. Um, so anyway, this is about four of his kids. You can go back and try to figure out which kids it is. It um, doesn't really matter. Because this isn't the first bad report that Jacob's had about his kids. Um, Reuben, who's his firstborn, um, actually slept with one of his fa- father's wives. So that's not a good thing. And then Simeon and Levi, his next two oldest, they um, organized the rest of the brothers to assassinate all the males in the entire town after they convinced them all to get circumcised. That's also an exciting story. And, um, and then um, Judah, the fourth oldest kid, he sleeps with his daughter-in-law thinking she was a prostitute. Then when he finds out that his daughter-in-law is pregnant, he accuses her of prostitution and is going to kill her until she brings out some stuff that's his that proves that he was the guy that got her pregnant. Man, the Bible should be R-rated, huh? It's exciting. Um, so if we read verse 2 here again, this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, his sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now considering how out of control his brothers were, can we really consider Joseph a tattletale? Like, 
if you read through the rest of this stuff, it's that, you know, all this bad stuff happened, and then their father found out. And all this bad stuff happened, and then their father found out. It's kind of like through the grapevine type thing. But nobody was actually talking to him. They didn't have enough respect for him. They, didn't, they were working behind his back. They didn't care what he thought. They didn't care what he had done. Now, of course, his legacy was to be a deceiver. And the kids had kind of grown up in that, and understanding and watching him as he, you know, got into this shady business dealing with his, uh, with his father-in-law. And even in amongst the family, as they're all, like, competing to see who can have the most kids and, you know, backstabbing and deceptions and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, there's no one that actually stands for truth in the midst of that. And so you see Joseph stand up. And I told you, like, I always understood that Joseph was a tattletale. But I think in being a tattletale, you're speaking out to try to get someone else in trouble. And when you're a truth teller, you're speaking out even though you may get in trouble. And look at the history of his brothers here. When anyone kind of stands up against them, they just rise up and, and attack. And, um, and obviously that's what happens here in Genesis 37, ultimately not to ruin the end of the story, but like his brothers turn on him, uh, threaten to kill him, leave him to die, end up selling him just to get rid of him, right? So he knew he was going to put himself out and on a limb here, but he's, yet he's willing to take a stand for righteousness. And I think that is something admirable about the guy. He's a truth teller. And that's something that we can, we can take into to consideration here. Now, as we keep going, verse 3 it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him a richly anointed robe or a technicolor dream coat or a robe of many colors for him. Right. And then let's keep going a little bit here. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, I think it's something really interesting here in verse 3 is that the word for Jacob's name, because remember Jacob wrestled with God and God changed his name to Israel. And then all this bad stuff happened with his boys massacring a town and pretty much in the name of God. And then, um, and then he goes back to the place he had had the dream where God linked heaven and earth via this staircase or ladder or whatever. And God reaffirms it again and renames him Israel again. But yet the text go, keeps going back to referring to him as Jacob. Right? In verse 2 it said, this is the account of Jacob. Now the first time he's mentioned here, it says, um, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now some people look at that and they go, yeah, yeah, whatever. He's got two names. So they just kind of like mix it up and throw the different names in there so it's not repetitive. And that very well could be, and I could be going out on a limb here. But I think, like, once, once you've had, like, a conversion experience and you really feel like, yeah, this thing, things are different inside, but the external circumstances don't necessarily change right away. I don't know if any of you have ever noticed that, but I've kind of, in my own life, like, made good decisions. Like, I fell off the roof of a car and that's when God got my attention, when I had no skin on the side of my face and lost all my friends because they all thought I was a moron. And they were right. And um, yeah, so I realized I didn't have anyone but God. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I'm like, awesome, because everybody else did. And then I went through a process of two years of absolute crazy crap until like two years later I was standing on the cliff of a mountain ready to throw myself off because God had taken away everything that I cared about, because he was trying to get himself in control. Say, like, my identity changed really quickly on the day I fell off a car, 
but it took years for things to actually start to change. And I mean, like, I still deal with stuff now where I flip-flop between like who I want to be and who I am and who God wants me to be, and it's like this crazy thing. So if we look at the context of this, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And I remember Jacob was a deceiver, right? He was the one that, that was just trying to, to make his way and look out for numero uno. Funny thing was, the other night I was having dinner with my son, and I asked him, what's your favorite word in the English language? And he says, me. <laughs> and I said, can you say narcissist? And he says, dad. I'm like, hang on a second. You're four? <laughs> uh, so anyway, like Jacob was looking out for numero uno, right? He's looking out for number one. Then God gets a hold of this, and he like starts to really, starts to change him. And I think, like, Jacob looks at his, his boys, and he's like, oh, man. Like, they're picking up on all my bad traits. Joseph's the younger kid. And he's like, you know what? I really want to do things different with this one. I want to train him up in the ways of God. I want to give him a chance to be a leader. I want to give him a chance to know who God is. And I think it's kind of a spiritual mentorship that's kind of being referred to. I could be wrong, and feel free to text me and tell me I am. I'm all right with that. I've got thick skin. Obviously, my kid insults me, so I'm all right. Um, it's also, in looking at this family heir stuff, we kind of look at, well, this isn't fair. You know, like, there's a lot of older kids that they should have gotten the first chance to be, you know, the new leader of the tribe instead of, instead of Joseph. But I think it might work a little bit like this, because it's always the oldest kid that gets that most important role, right? And the oldest kid of Jacob's slept with one of his wives, so he kind of disqualified himself. And rather than go down the list, but we already went down the list of how they each kind of disqualified themselves, I think it goes over to the eldest kid of the second wife, who would be Joseph. And so that coat of many colors that he had, that we kind of look at as like spoiled, spoiled kid getting a gift he doesn't deserve, I think in understanding the way culture looks and what some of the commentators were saying is that a, a robe like that indicates leadership and it indicates authority. And so I don't actually think that it was a problem that Jacob wanted to promote Joseph to that spot, but there's no communication about what's going on here whatsoever. And I think that's really where things went wrong, is Jacob didn't say, like, look, you boys have been given your chance, and look what you're choosing to do with it. And Joseph's actually standing up for truth, and, you know, our family is going to choose God ways, God's ways from now on, so I'm going to give that leadership to Joseph. He doesn't do that, doesn't use it as a teaching opportunity, and he just kind of throws it out there, and all of a sudden Joseph is head of the tribe, and they're like, what's going on? And obviously they're mad, but they should be mad at Jacob. Instead, they're mad at Joseph, because remember, they don't have any respect for, for Jacob. And um, through all this, like, in understanding, like, okay, he's being spiritually mentored, he's being, um, you know, mentored in, in leadership and all that kind of stuff, too, is to see, like, no wonder he had dreams. No wonder he was open to God. None of the other brothers were. So let's read some of that, 5 to 11. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? 
They hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. This time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well, his brothers, as well as his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So considering Joseph's factual report of his dream, can we really considering, consider him an arrogantly flaunting his visions of grandeur in the faces of his brothers? Because the way I read it is he just presents the facts. I had a dream. This is what happened in the dream. He doesn't say, guess what God told me. You're all losers, and I am the man. In fact, he doesn't, he doesn't interpret it at all. It's the brothers that interpret it, right? Do you actually intend to reign over us? You're going to rule over us? And does he answer those questions? I don't see him answering it. In fact, he's strangely silent. And I think that when we look at this through the lens of our scope and understanding, we go, well, Joseph had these dreams, and even if they're true, he should have kept them to himself. Like, come on. Like, you know this is just going to invite trouble. This is being arrogant. But remember what I was talking about, even about in speaking here this morning, it's not about me dispensing correct opinion and then you just swallowing it and going around telling the rest of the world, I know what this means now because Danny told me, is that, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. This is my best guess, and I'm hoping that, like, through a conversation together, we could actually sort, kind of sort what God's heart is in this. The same way I think Joseph is approaching, like, he knows this dream is more than just a dream. And where do you go to when you need spiritual direction? You go to the community you live in and say, like, look, I don't know what this means. Is it just a dream or is this something more? Like, help me out here. I think they correctly interpret the dream, but they don't correctly, uh, correctly run with it, act on it. Um, one interesting thing is, as I was pondering this, I wondered, like, how to compare the difference between Joseph Joseph's family reaction to this, and then later on, when he interprets, interprets dreams for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, later on. And in, um, you can look it up if you want, or it can go on the screen here, but in um, um, Genesis 41, 45, it says that Joseph has interpreted this dream to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was like, whoa, this is crazy. And he, gave, he says, Pharaoh gave him the name of zaphnath paneah and gave him... Um, the daughter of some guy, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt, and he was basically the prime minister. So in this case, he changes his name to zaphnath Paneah, and that actually means revealer of secrets. And so he acknowledges that his dreams are from God, and this is an unbeliever, right? This is a guy that doesn't know God from, from a donkey, or a frog, or whatever it is that they worshipped in, in Egypt. But he's like, this, there's truth coming from this guy. So let's rename him so everybody knows when they meet him that his name means revealer of secrets. And let's also give him the leadership that he deserves. Everybody, because he is the revealer of secrets, we're going to put him in charge. He had been in prison 24 hours prior to that. It's an amazing story, a rag-to-riches story, right? That's why everybody knows it. And I wonder, like, if Jacob had actually done something similar to that, if we would have seen a different 
type of story. Uh, it just fascinates me in terms of like sometimes God's people are the hardest ones to convince of God's working in our life. And that can be really frustrating. And then in verse 11, just want to point out, it says that uh, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. It kind of looks like Jacob balls Joseph out just to try to keep family unity. Right? Like externally, I'm going to say, you shouldn't be bringing this up. Internally, I'm going to be like, oh man, I used to have dreams where God revealed stuff to me. Hmm. As opposed to externally saying, boys, let's, let's all gather around him and pray for Joseph and see what this means. And internally going, huh, I'm not sure. But it's opposite. And then it says his brothers were jealous. <laughs> and that really, that really jumped out of the page at me. Is, have you guys ever been jealous of someone else's relationship with God? I know I have. And like you look at the people that are talented enough to come up here and lead worship, and you're like, man, they must be close with God, or I wish I could do that kind of stuff. Or, you know, the people that can speak really eloquently. Or, you know, the, the missionaries that go on the other side of the world and tell people about God and put their lives on the line. That Like, man, like, I just get up and go to work and come back home and fight traffic, and I have nothing to contribute. Like, worthless. And I don't really think it works that way. When we're comparing gifts, we compare understandings or we promote certain, certain types of gifts within, within the body and we lose out on so much. And we just end up becoming jealous of each other instead of really being able to help and encourage each other along. I felt so blessed yesterday as I'm up on, on the roof of my house and I don't really know what I'm doing, but there's some guys here from the church that came along and they're like, hey Danny, like line this up here. And I'm like, okay. They're like, go cut that. I'm like, okay. And I have got an amazing opportunity to, to go out and speak to people about God, to walk the schools of hallways, to, to interact with kids that have never been to church before in their life and they're scared of God and, and they think God hates them. And, and I get to go out and be a light to that, but I can't fix my roof. <laughs> and you know what? Like in that, as I was falling asleep last night, I was just so, so thankful for the type of guys that can get up there and, and do that and help me out and save me a ton of money. I don't know if uh, you guys are needing to redo a roof. All those guys did not come to church this morning, by the way. So I, th I think I used up my friendship. But that's all right. The roof's done. I won't need friends again for another 30 years, right? <laughs> um, right. So all this to say is, like, we all have a role to play. And, like, are you willing to, like, be surprised by other, some, someone else's role? Like, what if someone, like, came in off the street this morning and God wanted them to speak instead of me? Like, would I be willing to go up to them and say, look, look, if God's really laid on your heart, I don't know you, but if you really feel this way, like, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. But my tendency would be, like, who are you? And, like, how can you just come off the street and expect us to just go to your wishes? He's like, well, I had a dream. Came in, like, I was supposed to come in and speak this morning. No, no, no. Let's talk this over. Let's, you know, like, see what's going on. See going now. Call the elders. I'll call up Brad, get him back here from sabbatical. We'll sit down with you. We'll discuss. Maybe in a few months we can fit you into this teaching schedule if it's as even actually from God. Whereas, like, are we going to be more like Jacob here? Are we going to be more like Pharaoh, who doesn't even believe in God, and yet he's willing to, like, go out on a limb and put this kid who was in, a, in prison 
to become the prime minister of the country. It is absolutely insane what God can do. All right. You guys falling asleep yet? Yes? I love honesty. You're awesome. All right. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well and, uh, with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring back word to me. Then he sent them off from the valley of Hebron. Then Joseph arrived at Shechem. A man found him wandering around in the fields and asked, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Uh, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these sisters and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, considering Joseph's attitude, can we really consider him in need of a reality check? Now, listen to some of this stuff, eh? This blew my mind. Israel, again, using that phrase, sees that his family is now divided because after all this has happened, he has father rebuked them and their reaction was to be jealous and to leave. Let's get out of here. Like, if Joseph's going to be in charge, we're not going to have anything to do with this. So let's, before he takes possession of everything, let's go set up shop in a new spot. And they choose to go to Shechem, which is the place where they killed the entire town. Right? So they're obviously going to be feared and respected there. No one's going to get in their way. No one's gonna, there's not going to be anyone there they have to bow down to. In fact, everyone's going to have to bow down to them. And the place they had left was called Hebron. And I had never associated this with before, but I actually learned that the reason people, these people of God were called Hebrews is because they were from the valley of Hebron. I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense to me now. Um, but Hebron means the place of fellowship and community. So the father, Israel, has a desire to restore community with the lost children. So he sends his favored son to leave the place of fellowship and community with the father to leave and go into the place of hostility the place where the, these brothers are in charge and they're not scared of anything. Joseph has a willing attitude to be sent. Israel said, I want you to go. And he says, very well, go. No complaining, no, but dad, they're going to kill me if I go out there. No, he doesn't do that. And then the brothers are trying to change the course of God's will. I think they very much saw that God was moving in Joseph's life. Verse 20, again, says, Come now, let's kill and throw him into one of these sisters and say, cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Have you ever been in a place that you've tried to actually manipulate God's will in your life? Like, all right, God, you said this was going to happen, um, so I'll go and, you know, like you said, I was going to own this whole acreage around here, so I'll go out and buy you know, a house at a time until I own it all. And God's like, no, I don't want you to do it that way. But you're like, oh, but this is like way faster, so I'll go out and do it. And then, is that, is that what God has told you to do? Are you trying to manipulate him? You're trying to manipulate his will, or it's something you don't want to do. And like the story of, of um, Jonah is just like that, right? God says, go to Nineveh. 
And uh, he's like, if I go to Nineveh, the people will repent, and they're my enemies, and I want them to suffer and mass, like die. So I'm not going to go. So jump on a boat. Let's get out of here. And, you know, like, and finally, like, God's, like, stirred up the storm. And the sailors are like, let's, they, they decide to throw him out of the boat. And Jonah willingly volunteers for that role because he knows, like, if he dies, he doesn't have to go preach to Nineveh. So he's awesome, like, I'll die in the water, don't have to do this. And God rescues him in the whale, spits him up on shore, and he has to go to Nineveh anyway. Um, why am I talking about that? You guys are not keeping me on task here. That's a different story altogether. Um, <clears throat> anyway, we do try to manipulate God's course in, of will in our life. But let's look at Joseph. Then comes into this situation and, um, you know, starts getting beat up and all this stuff. And you don't hear a word from him. He doesn't have anything that he says. And it seems like he's willing to be sacrificed. I mean, I could be wrong. But it just, it seems that way. And then like, even when they, they choose not to kill him and sell him instead, they sell him for 20 shekels, which isn't very much, like a bag of silver. And um, wouldn't you think, like, okay, he's the, the son of promise, the son of future leadership within the tribe of this family, and he's getting sold to the Ishmaelites, who aren't that far off from relatives of his. They're going to know who Jacob is. He's like the most wealthy person in the entire region to be able to go, look, you bought me for 20 shekels. Bring me back to my father, and I can promise you that he's going to reward you a hundred times over. Like, look at the gift he gave Esau, and that was like pocket change to him. Like, he doesn't say anything. And I almost think, and I mean, like, I'm speculating for sure, but I almost think, like, He's willing to put himself on the line, willing to let himself be sacrificed, willing to let himself be removed out of the picture so that his brothers will go back to the Father in community. Does that sound like any other story you've ever heard in the Bible? Where Jesus leaves heaven, the place of community with the Father, to go on this mission to restore lost, hurting people to him. They turn on him. They kill him. And he does so willingly. So, were you surprised? Surprised by the text? I hope so. You know, one thing that I really want to point out that, that maybe you need to be surprised at as well is <laughs> the fact that like, the brothers are messed up. They're murderers. They're liars. They're deceivers. They try to manipulate God's will. They're jealous of other people's relationship with God. They've been counted out in the family blessings. You know, like, we can write them off. And um, yet, they become the founding fathers of our faith, the 12 tribes of Israel, the people of God. And that really encourages me because I'm not perfect. I mess up, and I need God's grace in order to continue going. It's surprising that God would use these people I thought he was trying to start over pure, start over new, right? That's why he picked Abraham instead of like another nation. But he isn't so concerned about purity as he is about faithfulness and willing to, to actually work in our life. So as a challenge I have for you is are you continuing to be willing to be surprised? Now maybe God surprised you in the past and like showed up in your life and 
He wanted to, you know, change you, and, and you did change. But now it's been years and years and years since that has happened, and you've actually forgot about the change. And everything's become same-o, same-o, right? You just show up to church because that's what you do. Like, if you don't go to church, you feel guilty. Or you're actually, like, engaging with God because you know that any moment he could surprise you just like he used to. And are you willing to actually be surprised? Because if God shows up and starts giving you dreams, like, that could get you in trouble. It could get you in danger. And you know what? It could involve a lot of time. Joseph is sucked away to Egypt. He becomes a slave. He's working in this house. Things look like they're going up, and then, like, accusations. He ends up in jail, and it's like 20 years of hopelessness. But you never see that in him. He never gives up on the dream. He never gives up on the visions that he's had. It can take a lot of time. I don't like cooking because it takes a long time. I like the microwave because it's fast. And even sometimes the microwave takes way too long, especially when you're trying to dethaw soup. Why in the world does it take so long? I'm sorry. Soup. And then are you ready to surprise someone else, just like Joseph? Are you willing to stand up for truth when nobody else is? And are you willing to share your dreams, even though they might be criticized, shot down, or stomped on? Are you willing to continue in the faith, despite all circumstances indicating otherwise? So as the guys come up here to, to wrap things up for us, I want you, this is my challenge to you, either today or throughout this week, to call someone up that you know, Ask them how God has surprised them in their life and what kind of dreams and visions they have to serve him. It doesn't matter if they're the musicians. It doesn't matter if they're the janitor. God wants to move. He wants to do crazy things in our life. And we need to hear those things. Because I don't know if there's someone on this side of the room that always sits on this side of the room and has never gone over here and it's basically another whole church over on this side because that's how I feel. I always sit over here. I don't, well, I don't want anything to do with you people over there. And um, maybe... Maybe your, maybe your dream has a direct impact on this person's life over here, but we never have a chance to actually share and interact and connect in those ways. So I challenge you to do that today. And I challenge you to ask God for surprise. If you can remember nothing else, because statistically they say most people forget the topic of the sermon by the time they reach it to their car. So I don't care. I didn't really say anything important anyway, so... And if you really want to, you can listen to it online. You didn't even have to come. But I would say, just ask God, surprise me, and be willing to listen to what his answer might be. Thanks.